Välkommen till avsnitt 62 utav Succépodden Vixnerpodd med mig Stefan och min kompis Linus. Vill du säga hej till alla? Hej till alla. Hör du, vi pratar ju i vanliga fall rätt mycket om populärkultur, men idag ska vi prata om mm. resmål. Du, ja, du har ju varit ute och rest, mm. har du varit. Så du kanske inte konsumerar så mycket som du egentligen gör. Nej, det stämmer. Du har ju blivit utsläppt. Skull. Och då tänkte mm. jag väl fråga, vad för typ av liksom populärkulturell konsumtion älskar du ägna dig åt när du åker ut och reser? Bra fråga. Det blir ju, alltså enklaste är ju eh, poddar såklart. Eh, det blir en del filmpoddar och sådär. Eh, min favorit tror jag är ändå just nu, jag tror det är The, Re- The Rewatchables tror jag, på Ringer Network, eh, Spotify- Uh, när det är de, de liksom originalmedlemmarna Eller hur man nu ska säga det uh, När de pratar filmer så är det bäst uh, Det är Bill Simmons är det Som hostar den Han är någon gammal basketjournalist Jättestor i USA Och uh, uh, Chris Ryan Och Sean Fennessy, de tre När de tre kör ihop så är det det bäst Så att uh, jag lyssnar på En om Blowout Nu uh, med John Travolta Brian De Poma de har, med sig ytterligare en, de har med sig ytterligare en show Och man märker När det blir när en, liksom så här, en utomstående kommer in De kommer in lite för hot Så att, ja. så att dyna, dynamiken blir lite märklig så här. Han, han tar i lite för mycket Och man märker att de andra liksom tar ett steg tillbaks Du laddar hela veckan då. Ja men lite så Annars Jag vill också säga ja. Jag tänkte fråga en sak Jag har lyssnat på rätt mycket Rewatchables också Uh-huh. Det är så här, utan att ha en aning om hur de här killarna ser ut Men baserat på hur de låter Så känns det som att mm. det är tre killar Som inte hatade college dorms När de gick i college <laughs> Nej, det är ju exakt det, det De är ju så här journalister också Du vet så här amerikanska Ja men de är ju svinbra på att skriva också De är ju jävligt smarta Alla tre, så att det är väldigt kul att sitta och lyssna på dem Men det är ju Jag tror Ja, men jag tror att de är riktiga sådana college dorms dudes eh, mm. faktiskt. <laughs> annars, annars, är det ju, annars är ju drömmen om en iPad. Mm. Alltså, den, den blir ju starkare och starkare för varje dag. Och nu vart den ju jättestark när man är ute och reser. Nu är det inte så ofta jag reser, men det hade suttit fint med en iPad den här gången. Eh, men jag hade med, hade med en dator och liksom langa fram den i flygplanstolen och börja kolla på den här Pearl. Mm. Men... Han är, inte, han är inte så klart men det var också så här känner jag slocka hem tänkte sig klart den så bara nej jag orkar inte ta fram datorn då hade ju en iPad varit perfekt och mm. vad kan man göra på en iPad man kan göra så himla mycket liksom alltså filmer man kan till och med läsa, läsa serietidningar och allt möjligt så att, det beror väl lite på jag är ju också en riktig ADHD konsument mm. så att jag gillar ju liksom att byta fram och tillbaka och så där men och för er som inte riktigt har koll på iPads så är det ju typ som en stor iPhone är det ju. Ja, eller jag tror man kallar det. Man kallar det för en stor iPod Touch. Ja. Det är väl där den mest går under. Mm. <laughs> Nej, men så att jag vet inte vad, vad det ultimata är. Jag vet vad jag tror det är? Det ja. är nog tv-serier faktiskt. Lite ja, kortare snyggt. avsnitt. Man har inte lika mycket stakes. Man behöver inte liksom känna att man... Måste se klart den här För det gör alltid lite ont i hjärtat på mig När jag måste pausa en film Och sen mm. se klart den Vid ett mycket senare tillfälle Jag kan ändå pausa ibland och se klart senare samma dag och så där, Men man vet att så här, nu kommer det ta dagar Då blir det lite 
knasig hjärna och sådär. Hur eh, du då? Var, mm. Jag vet ju att du har en sån att du har ett sånt Wii U eh, som du åker runt med. <laughs> ja, precis. Kon- konsolen innan Switch. <laughs> <laughs> Mellanbarnet. <laughs> ja, precis. Eh, eh, men det beror på lite chart och sånt så brukar jag alltid stäcka upp med rätt mycket böcker och poddar mm. liksom att det är mycket strandrageri. Men Just jag har ju av jobbskäl har jag hoppat runt rätt mycket på så här, lite hotellrum den här eh, säsongen och då är det alltid gött. Så här low stakes tv-serier eh, på mm. hotellrummet. Mm. Är det någon gång jag brukar konsumera typ så här animerat eller ja, animera, då är det ju typ mm. eh, hotellrum. Är det ju. Chainsaw Man mm. här nu som går eh, Crunchyroll, den det, det, det sparar jag bara till jag sover borta typ. Ja, det köper jag. <laughs> ja, det köper jag. Den ser helt sjuk ut den. Ja, den eh, vi ska inte fastna för mycket för jag har inte sett klart allting, inte sett allting. Nej. Den har ju ett problem den serien. Eh, jag kan säga så här, det positiva med den är att det är en väldigt eh, schysst handling. Det handlar ju om, ja, som alltid man mer när man sitter och tänker på det så det är det helt buggat. Men det handlar om en mm. snubbe som är en vet du, demonjägare eh, i Japan och det finns liksom så här olika sällskap och staten sanktionerar och sådär. Eh, <hör> den är ju fruktansvärt rå och blodig och den är väldigt snyggt eh, animerad där faktiskt så... Det är en liten fest för dina ögon. Problemet bara är att jag tror att det kan vara peak den, den kåtaste animeserien jag har varit med om. <laughs> på det sättet att man blir så här: fan sitter jag och kollar på. Det är så ja. jävla tråkigt vad liksom, eh, liksom det, det är så stort minus så att man eh, liksom man blir av avtänd på att se skiten liksom. Det, det är typ det enda. Hade de bara liksom skippat nära tonårs kåtheten då, som japanerna mm. älskar, då hade det väl kanske känts lite mer rimligare att kolla på den då. Men det, mm. det är faktiskt en jävligt stor turn-off från den. Det är synd som fan. För annars, så, annars märker man typ så här, jag, jag, jag kollade lite Comic-Con nu, det var ju eh, jävligt mycket folk som, som kliver på som eh, den typen av eh, karaktärer som är i Kinsusanda. Han har ju då, han pratar om, han har ju förmåga att förvandla sig till en stor motorsåg då. <laughs> Chains of Man. <laughs> ah, det, nice. in, det, det är inte subtilt utan det är exakt det. Liksom. Eh, det är ja. ändå en bra superkraft om man ska kalla det. Ja, slirig. Den är lite, ja, den är lite lurig. Jag sa det förr och jag säger det igen. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Vi har ju varit igång här lite kring mm. eh, våran tv-cirkel Så som en tv. Eh, mm. Till dagens avsnitt så har vi ju en liten specialare. En liten specialare. Va? Ja. ja, det har vi. Vad, vad, vad var det vi gjorde egentligen, Stefan? Eh, ja, jag vet att jag var med i någon form av intervjusituation. <laughs> eh, I efterhand så kanske man nog kan säga så här att jag hade någon form av tekniskt ansvar. Eh, bara för att se till att allting rullar på. Eh, han vi intervjuade pratade nog med sin fru efteråt och liksom, eh, jag och Linus hade nog eh, hade bra stäm <laughs> men han, han Stefan som är jag vet inte fan vad han hade på med alltså. han stod för deluxe Jordan. nej men vi har ju t- till dagens avsnitt intervjuat skådespelaren David Hofflin eller David Hofflin mm. eh, den svensk-australiensiska eh, skådespelaren som har roll, rollen som Daniel i The Peripheral så såg man Har man sett fram till Ja, vad blir det nu? Har man sett fram till fyran här va? Mm. 
så är det ju han som, jag vet inte, ska vi, ska vi, vi kan väl spoila, har man kommer så här långt så, vi kommer ju spoila lite i intervjun också liksom. Men eh, det är han som eh, blir, han blir typ en robot i fjärde avsnittet. Han dör och sen så blir han typ i, istoppad i en robotkropp kan man säga. Blond, mm. blåögd kille. Eh, så det, det kan vi väl rekommenderar att ni sitter och att, att ni lyssnar på. Det var ju väldigt, han var ju väldigt trevlig också. Ja, verkligen. Det måste jag säga. Han var ju mm. något så fruktansvärt trevlig. Eh, det är ju alltid en sån farhåga när man sitter och laddar. Och speciellt, vi genomförde ju det här via Zoom så ljudkvaliteten mm. är inte... Den är inte lika mycket radiopristin som den brukar vara när du och jag... Nej. <laughs> när vi sitter i våra jordkällare. Men eh, man sitter ju alltid lite nervös inför... Vad det ska vara för typ av person man, eh, som mm. kommer in i rummet. Men han var supertrevlig och jättebjussig mm. faktiskt. Ja, ja, anledningen till att jag var intresserad också var ju att eh, jag såg namnet efter första avsnittet. Googlade upp han och så bara, aha, svensk. Hade jag läst en rad till så hade jag insett att han, var, att han hade liksom flyttat till Australien när han var fem. Så att jag hörde ju av mig till hans management och fråga och sen så när de bara skickade tillbaka absolut det går bra uh, han pratar eng- eller vi, det går det bra om vi tar det på engelska och då var jag lite så här varför ska vi göra det vad är det för vad är det här för, vad är det här för douche <laughs> tänkte jag <laughs> men uh, så fick man läsa vidare lite sen att han har ju typ inte bott i Sverige sedan han var fem liksom så att, mm. uh, ja. han kommer att berätta Berätta allt för er, om ni stannar kvar och lyssnar. Väldigt my- väldigt mycket. Jag frågar väldigt mycket frågor om castingprocessen. Ja, på gränsen. <laughs> <laughs> väldigt roligt faktiskt. Mm. Men eh, lyssna, lyssna vidare. Och sen efter intervjun så kör vi så som i en tv om The Periphery, avsnitt 5. Ta en lyssning. Hör snart. What should we drink to, sir? Well, um... Down with Hitler. All the way down, sir. Yes. Got it. Yeah, great. great. So, Mr. David Hofflin, how are you? Good. I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Yeah, we're great. So the the thing is, we're we're a Swedish podcast, and we're doing a, kind of a like a, a watch along with the peripheral every week. We we see the latest episode and we like uh, run it through. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and the first episode, I saw your name. And I kind of recognized you, and I did a quick Google search, and it said that you uh-huh. were born in Sweden. So I was like, "Hmm," got got a bit curious. Um, c- can you just tell us a bit about yourself, uh, where you were born, and how you like ended up in acting? Yeah. Um, so I was born in Solentuna in Stockholm, and uh, we, my whole family, moved to Australia when I was. Five, I think, something around that that area, um, and uh, and so we spent most of the time in Melbourne, um, and then uh, in my sort of late twenties, I suppose, we moved to California with my now wife and spent ten years there, and uh, and then we moved to the UK. So my accent is predominantly Australian, although. It's becoming weirder and weirder as time goes on. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I've got now. People think I'm South African, a Kiwi, American. Yeah. Sometimes it's all it's all over the place. It's very confusing. Yeah. So I, I started acting when I was 10 years old. It was a it was a film with Meryl Streep and Sam Neill called Evil Angels about the Chamberlain case. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with that. That was 
the quite dingo. a few years ago, but it was about the dingo who yeah. killed the baby. Yeah. yeah, so that was my first ever acting role and and then, you know, just been going since then. Oh, in all honesty, I haven't seen the film, but uh, how, how big was your role and how was it working with like Mary Streep and Sam Neill? Yeah, so so the uh, the film spans quite a few years. Uh, and so I played their son in the middle. Uh, so they had three children, I think. Um, so I I played the eldest son in the middle time period. Um, so at that point in time, I had no idea who Meryl Streep was. I was 10 years old, so I didn't yeah. I didn't really know anything about. I mean, I I knew who. My my idol at the time was Stephanie Abbott, so it was like oh. I didn't really I didn't really <laughs> yeah. care about about actors at all. So I had no yeah. idea who who Meryl Streep was or who Sam Neill was, uh, which I suppose was a good thing because I didn't have any preconceptions, and they were lovely. They were really really nice. I just remember both of them being sweethearts. And then, funnily enough, I got to work with Sam Neill again um, about what ten years no. 10 years ago, nine years ago on a show. And and so we kind of were able to reestablish a connection there. And that was that was really sweet. Yes, I saw that you were in the, the it was it NBC or ABC, the Alcatraz? The... I think that was Fox. Fox. Oh, I think it's yeah. Fox. Yeah. yeah. Like the, yeah, mis- the sort of a mystery show, right? Alcatraz was a really... It was a really good premise for a show, uh, and while we were filming it, it was it, it had a lot of promise. And then I think, you know, a lot of cooks get in the kitchen and they they sort of put their own spin on it and things like that. And it kind of went. I think it went in a direction where the creators weren't anticipating it to go on. But yeah, we really had a great time filming it, and I think it could have been a the premise of the show was really, really good. It was all centered around Alcatraz and the mystery around around the prison area there. Um yeah, that was great. It was it was a pity it didn't go for a second season, but that's what happens, right? It's yeah. especially on special network shows, it's uh it has to sort of jump out at you. Whereas these days you've got so many other platforms like Amazon and Netflix and you know you're able to have a bit more freedom, I think. But that 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 was like if I done my research correctly, that was your third time working with Sam. You did you did a movie called Death in Brunswick as well, That's right? That's right. <laughs> wow, you have done your research. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah, kind of scary yeah. what you can find online now. <laughs> um that's true yes yeah. yeah that's right i forgot about that that was just a little a little part in, a, in an australian film that was quite a few years ago um did he, did he remember you on the alcatraz uh, set or did you like no 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 no, no. i mean since because we're talking what 20 years in between yeah. maybe something like that 15 years yeah. i changed a little uh within that time he hadn't that much um <laughs> but yeah i had i i ended up you know, obviously, when I saw him again, I, I, I introduced myself and I reminded mm. him, and he remembered at that stage. But then I was able to bring some photos along of when we were very uh, young, and uh, yeah. so that was cool. That was a nice little walk down memory lane. I think the uh, the other title for the for the I, I'm going to call it the Dingo movie, uh, but <laughs> it, it was a cry in the dark, right? Uh, did you mm. did you like audition for that, or how did you get the role? So we had just joined an acting agency. Again, I'd, I'd never done any acting before, and I was 10 years old, and we had just joined an agency that was 
that was predominantly, I think, more modeling, but I had no real interest in modeling. And it just so happened that one of the first calls we got was the agent saying they've just put me up for this film about the Chamberlain case with that Fred Skepsis directing and and Meryl Streep's starring. And we and my parents didn't really think it was shit. They thought it was just a bit of a, a joke. You know, they were trying to build themselves up. And then it was just the normal audition process where where you just go in and read and then you, they come back again. And I had again, I had nothing to refer it to. So I was just along for the ride. And for me, it was just, I mean, a lot of luck had to do with the fact that I happened to look like the child at that age. So he had uh, blonde hair and blue eyes and it was very much fortunate that I happened to to look like him. And I'm sure that was that played a massive part in, in why I got the role. And then you then you continue. You got the you got the acting bug in you. You know what? That, that's that's the funny thing is I mean, I guess I did, but it was never uh, a lot of people that I speak to and a lot of actors that are friends of mine, they all have this this um passion for performing and acting and they 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 decided to you know take a chance and and do all those sort of things i think because i started so young it was just a part of my normal life so i didn't i never had that moment of i have to perform or or this is my calling or whatever that was it was just it was just something that i that i did and i think if you took it away from me then i would feel a bit different, I believe, but the fact that it's just always been there and it's always just something that that I've I've been doing for my whole life. And when I started, it was a fun, cool thing to do. You know, I was a kid, so I just it was just fun. It means I didn't have to go to school that often, and <laughs> and uh, you know, you made I was, some money also. Yeah, exactly. I got yeah. some money, and I yeah. was away on adventures and and doing all fun stuff that. That uh, and of course on film sets when you're a kid as well in Australia, um, everyone's super nice to you and mm. you can only work for so long. You know yeah. you don't. There, there's a there's there's a sort of protocol that you can't work more than ten hours or whatever it was seven hours. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so it's not those sort of grueling film sets that you're on all the time. So it was it was just cruisy and and fun and and. Um, I never, I never really made the choice to become an actor. I just sort of was one, you know. So, yeah. and and lo and behold, I, I kind of still am, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that you made uh, did an episode of Flying Doctors. That's a that's a big yeah. show for all of us who didn't have <laughs> Growing cable. Up yeah. Is it really? Was yeah. it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it was on TV all the time. Uh, and for those of us that didn't have cable and art antenna, you yeah. always saw Doctor Can Komma that it's called in Swedish. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, no. that's really cool as well. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't realize yeah, yeah. that. It's funny yeah. how how some uh you know TV shows that are just sort of random TV shows end up being popular overseas. Yeah, um, it's very strange. Yeah, uh, I think I think the character Jeff Standish is sort of like an extra dad for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> the blonde one. I, yeah. I I can I yeah I remember that. I mean I grew up with it as well, but I thought it was just an Australian thing. You know, I thought that was I didn't realize it had such a big appeal overseas. Is it was it big anywhere else, or was it just in Sweden where it became popular? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it went. It was on like uh, before the the evening shows. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, I think it was, I don't know, uh, maybe cheap to to purchase and then run all the time. So yeah, 
I have seen several episodes, a lot mm. of them actually. So that's the way um, we like to do it in Australia: cheap to purchase. <laughs> <laughs> I also saw that you uh, did a show called Ocean Girl. Is that kind mm. of your big break in a way? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It was a, it was a kids show that was um, I think it was uh, it wasn't a Disney show to begin with, but then it was bought by Disney, um, and it went for four seasons. And and yeah, that was my first sort of introduction, I guess, into into serialized TV that went on for a few years. So um, that was when I was 14 to 18 years old. We were filming that up in far north Queensland, predominantly a lot of outside stuff in in Queensland. And then we did the studios in Melbourne. Um, So I spent half of the year up up in the sort of paradise area, which was, again, one of those things that normal school kids don't really get to do very often. So, And that ended up being quite a popular show worldwide it was actually it was actually quite funny because uh jack rayner from the peripheral yeah yeah we were yeah. we were filming the first first day i was filming with him we were doing a fight scene that's that would be the first episode I think. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so we were doing a fight scene and there's a there's a point in time where i'm on top of him and i'm, I'm punching him and so we were getting ready to to do that scene and we were just talking about different things and uh, scuba diving came up and, you know, I said, yeah, I had to learn how to scuba dive for a show when I was young. So I've, I've done it for a while. And and then he asked what show that was. And I went, oh, it's just in the, you know, it's just the strange show called Ocean Girl. And he went, you were on Ocean Girl? <laughs> that was a terrible Irish accent. But anyway, he met- <laughs> And apparently he used to watch that when he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I didn't have any idea that it was it was sort of that worldwide popular, I suppose would be the word. Do, do you learn anything uh, of, of doing so many episodes so young? I mean, that you can like bring with you the rest of the career? Any tips or tricks that you might? <laughs> tips or, any tips yeah. or tricks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in short, I guess you pick stuff up, right? But I mean, I, I don't know if it... Being a kid, there's a lot of traps, especially I guess in in the Hollywood area, and, and you know, growing up in uh, in that sort of environment, it's a little bit different in Australia. The Australian film industry was smaller; it still is smaller than the US, but it was smaller back then. And crews are lovely everywhere you go, and everyone's nice on crews. It's very very rare to find a crew on a film set that uh, aren't pretty cool. But mm. but we. We had, you know, smaller crews that were like family. It was very, um, you didn't fall into the traps that a lot of kid actors do in the States, I don't think. I don't know. I I, I did get, a sound recorder once told me that to um, respect everyone on the set because they all have a job. Yeah. And, and, you know, the crew works twice as hard as any actors do. Um, you know, the, we're we're in and out sometimes, or we have days off, or you know, our scenes. Are, you know, it's a different type of work, but they're there from the start to the finish every single day, no mm. matter what's happening. They're every single scene, they don't have any scenes off. Um, and so, I I did get to learn, I guess, respect for for everyone's work on the set. Yeah. But when it became growing up in that environment, I don't know if I would have learned that when I was my first gig as an adult or as a child, uh, you know, it would have been kind of the same thing. But it just got, 
again, it was just a part of my life. So it was like going to school for me. Um, mm. And and I guess I guess a part of it, I had to grow up a little bit quicker because we were living in in a different area for half the year. And the first two years, I think my parents came with me. And then after that, I was 16. So then I was, I think, by myself living in an apartment there and my memory could be shot. That might not be true. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I know, I know, I, at least I know the last season. Last season I was by myself in an apartment. And, and you know, you, you do have to have responsibilities. You have to make sure that you were prepared for every day and, and those sort of things. But that kind of comes with the territory, I suppose, of of doing any any sort of work. You, yeah. You're not prepared, then uh, then you pay for it. And I guess that directors and producers notice those sort of things as well i guess an actor who repeatedly comes to set not prepared and oh yeah yeah and i think it's also the uh personally for me it's the attitude of of the um the actor as well a friend of mine said this here a little while ago when i was working with him he's quite he was quite an he's an established actor um very well known and he said most actors and actresses would Put in the whole umbrella of actors uh, are nice people because the ones that aren't don't work as often. Uh, yeah, and and you that's true. I mean, there are you know the rotten apples. There are people just like in anything else that that are, that are hard to deal with. But I think for the most part, if you want to get anywhere, you kind of you got to not be a dick. Yeah, <laughs> I, so, I think, I think and, that's, and, and you know if you if yeah. you are sometimes if you're difficult to deal with, then that that word does get around. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and we uh, we like we like a good name drop on this pod. Can you share the share the name of the established actor? Oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I just didn't want to be that guy, but no, we love that guy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was John Malkovich. That oh. I, was, I did a yeah, I did a show with with him, and 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 this is the one one thing, right? Before I was working with him, I was I'd seen him in everything. You know, it's yeah. John Malkovich, and um. I had my preconceptions of what I thought he might be like. Yeah. And I thought based on his roles beforehand and how good he is as a bad, scary guy and blah, 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 that he might be difficult to deal with and couldn't be further from the truth. He was such a lovely, professional, gentle man. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we got onto that conversation. I was like, I wanted to know all the people who he'd worked with, like, you know, get the goss, get the name drop as such. Um, and that's when he said most people, most, you know, most people are really lovely people because otherwise, you you know, the name, the word does get around and and you don't work as often. And I think that generally happens when they're starting off. So, mm. um, you know, careers can be ended just by, and also, you know, that's the same, you just want to be nice, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. No one, no one wants to be dealing with someone that's difficult at any point in life. So, um, there we go. That's that's the lesson. For, <laughs> for, <laughs> the the name of the episode, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so after Ocean Girl, you worked a lot in Australia. Yeah. So Australia was my um, back then as well. You know, the the world was. Jesus, I'm saying sound like I'm so old. Back then, <laughs> we didn't have airplanes to fly around. No, the, the world. The film industry was smaller and it wasn't as as convoluted as it is now or or as connected as it is now. So um a lot of Australian TV shows, um, very few American shows were around at that point. And then during about 2000, the year 2000, 
at least for me, um, more American shows started filming up in Queensland. And so that became part of um, a little bit more work in that way. But I didn't, I didn't really move to or have any inkling to, to move to the States until yeah, I was in my kind of late 20s. And how did the, the transfer from uh, Australia to America, how did it uh, come to be? Well, I did my stint on a show called Neighbours. Um, big uh, Australian show, right? Yeah, 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 and big big, big here in the UK as well. Um, not so big in America. No one, you know, no one really knows about it over there. But uh, I had done... I'd done a year and a half on that show and it just seemed like a natural progression to then I I had kind of felt like I had worked quite a bit in Australia and at that point in time there wasn't a lot of work around you know and and the work that was around it was the same sort of thing you know like it wasn't that uh, that much of an exciting time to be around in Australia at that time um and it just felt like it was a good time to to move over you know just having finished a job uh you know i was able to get representation over there from the work that i'd done and it would just it seemed sort of like an easy transition um so yeah went over there just to see what it was like and then went on holidays for about a year traveling around europe went to you know visited sweden and my family back there again the extended family and did a lot of sort of traveling and then came back and and then moved to to America full time. Then we were there for 10 years and that went by ridiculously quickly. I mean just looking at your IMDb page you have been prolific in uh, American TV. Uh, <laughs> a lot of shows, a lot of episodes. I mean there's a lot of people who I think uh, struggle to get uh, episodes on tv how how, how yeah. does it work how does it work do you have to audition for it or do you get sent scripts or oh i mean 95 of the roles that i've done i've auditioned for mm. um and, you know sometimes it's an audition where there's only a few people like a handful of people that they've asked to see you but f- for most you know majority of the time it's just normal auditions and and at that point in time as well was going into the rooms and doing the you know the audition with the car and, and essentially when i moved to america it was starting from scratch i had no idea who any of the casting people were i had no real connections over there so i just had to start it was like starting work again um in a new place and and so there were a few years there where there wasn't much wasn't much work and i remember my first role in the states was what was that show Big love, mm, and wow. and it was one episode, a couple of scenes. Uh, you know, was not a big role at all, but it was a film. It was a role, you know, and uh, I was so nervous. I was <laughs> so nervous, and I, I, you know, at that point in time, I'd been working for twenty years, but this was my first American role, and I think I had like two lines. It was, you know, it was not a big thing, but but it was just because it was america and it was yeah. hbo and it was is it a different yeah, scale of the production yeah i mean it was it was bigger it, there wasn't much to be honest there wasn't really much difference in the way that they had done things you know it wasn't i guess i guess that's a good way of putting it though was the scale of it everything was just bigger um you know more trailers more <laughs> um more people yeah 
cameras, but um, but the actual system of filming was very similar. But still, it was I was so nervous I couldn't hardly get I couldn't get my my mouth to work. Um, yeah, uh, did you did you, ridiculous. did you have the chance to work with uh, Bill Paxton? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. Um, and funnily enough, we I, I did work with him for a, for a little bit. He was super lovely. Um, and then I met him again just out in in Hollywood. We were going for a a drink somewhere, and he just happened to be there. So uh, I think I was probably with a film. Someone knew someone. I can't remember what it was, but we ended up having a table together, and and we just chatted a bit more. He was very lovely, a really nice yeah. guy. Another nice guy, yeah. Another nice guy. <laughs> the John Malkovich show. I think it was called Crossbones. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. How how did that come to be? Uh, just audition as one one more time, or? Yeah. So I well, I had read the script for Crossbones. How did that come about? A friend of mine was actually going for the the lead role that Richard Coyle uh, ended up booking. And so I was helping him practice for that audition. Mm. And so I read I read the scenes with him and then I noticed that there was a character in there. Um, and the character, it, it said something just in the audition pieces, it said something about, you know, he's blue eyes or something like that. And I'm like, I've got blue eyes. <laughs> I was, it was made for me. Yeah. Um, so, so then I reached out to my agents and said, you know, there's a role going and, and they replied with, yeah, but it's, it's only, uh, it's only for one episode. This character it was only for one episode. So we didn't think you'd be interested in it. And and I remember thinking, then I read the script and I remember thinking, first off, the script was amazing. But secondly, that character seemed like he was going to be in it more than just one episode, just by the way it was written and what he was doing. Hmm. So then I reached out again saying, I don't think this is just one episode, but I, I could be wrong, but can we look at it a little bit further? And so we did. And then they ended up having like a, a character breakdown for it and, They that I said, look, I'd like to put down an audition for it, whatever the case, and you put an audition down. And this is the thing about acting as well. Sometimes you put an audition down and you don't hear anything for a month. Um, that happened with the peripheral. I put an audition mm. down and then didn't hear anything for maybe even six weeks. Oh. I just forgot about it. There was other auditions to do. I was filming something else at the time. So I didn't even think twice about it. I'd put this down. And then I was speaking to my agent about something else. And they said, oh, by the way, we've heard from the peripheral. They'd like to see you again. And I had to go, what? what, what, what huh? I can't, I can't, <laughs> I couldn't recall what that was. Yeah. And so that's what happens. I think, I think sometimes it happens very quick where they're like, we want you to put an audition down. Yeah, you got the role. You got to be in New York in two days. Um, and then other times it just lags on and you just, which is the worst when you're waiting and when you're waiting for news and you know you're close yeah. Yeah. to something and then you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and they're taking their time and it, like four weeks go by and then you just think about it, okay, it must have not have gone my way and I'll move on. And and then they call and go, well, you're close and then it starts all over again. <laughs> It's The waiting is the worst. 
yeah i can i can imagine so when when, uh, when it's a two day thing let's say how do you prepare for such a thing you can't right right well this was i so i i shot a, a an amazon tv show called z the beginning of everything mm -hmm which uh, was with Christina Ricci and they had shot the pilot with someone else. Mm. Um, and it was based on F Scott Fitzgerald and um, Zelda Fitzgerald. And so they had shot the pilot and a little while ago, and they are, now they've decided to make it into a TV series. But at that point in time, the, the actor that got the role initially was unavailable for some reason. Mm. So they had to recast. And so I got the material. We went through the audition process in LA and then they wanted to fly me over to New York for the final sort of audition process. And then we were there for three, four days right before the auditioning. I got food poisoning. So <laughs> that was horrific. Not a good, not a good way to, to do an audition, especially a romance sort of audition with Christina in the room and I wasn't I was not in a good way um then they flew me back to LA on Thursday and on Friday they said you've got the role we need you in New York on Monday for six months for seven months um and my wife really? at that point my wife at that point was seven and a half months pregnant as well at that point in time you just got to make things work yeah um but it's also in terms of preparation not a lot of time to sort of get an idea of what the character was like especially when you're portraying someone who lived a life yeah um so you know you're sort of thrown in the deep end and you have to make a choice between do i prepare for the actual written script that we're shooting or do i prepare by trying to read up as much as you can about what the, the man was like. And, and eventually but my decision was, well, I've got to focus on the task at hand first. And while I'm doing that, I'll start doing my research and, and pick up as much as I can. So sometimes, you know, you can get four months to prepare for a role and other times it's just a matter of days. And really there's, you just got to make it work and do the best you can. Do you, um, do you prefer uh, the four months or do you like uh, the the short? Mm. Thrown into it. <laughs> Throwing you know into what? It depends on. It, it, it depends on. I, I definitely find that I can, if I have too much time, I overthink things. It also depends on how much time you've got on the material. Mm. Uh, you know, the more time you've got on the material, the more time it can sink into your brain and become very natural so you're not, you know, halfway through the scene trying to figure out what the next line was, you know. But I I definitely think for me, I tend not to dissect a script word for word and line for line and, and figure out what that means because then I just get way too cerebral. I, it's it's too heady for me and, and I forget yeah. exactly what I'm what I'm doing. From a physicality standpoint, I like to have as much time as possible because you know sometimes you would read a script and think, you know, I see him as bigger. I see him as maybe 10 pounds heavier or muscular or fatter or thinner mm. or whatever. So in, in terms of physicality, it's nice to have that time where you can really sink your teeth into, into the character um, from a physical standpoint. But 
it always changes, you know. I guess I guess the the, the short answer <laughs> is it's always nice to have more time. You just got to deal with it um, the correct way. Has it been uh, opportunities that you had to like uh, say no to because of scheduling conflicts or? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, that's the annoying thing about acting as well is that is is it can be a feast or famine. In a scenario where mm. there's nothing, and then Murphy's Law is you book a role, and then the next week you book another role that you, you forgot about, and you have to choose between one or the other. And that's just happens, and and the thing is, you're never going to know whether it's the right decision. Even if you say no to a role, and then someone else takes it, and they did superbly well at it, and the the show's a hit. You know, if you did that role, maybe maybe it wouldn't be a hit, you know. So no. there's no way of thinking, no, you know, what true. if. Uh so there's been a there's been a couple of times where you have to where you have to choose and and at the point in time you just have to think what makes most sense. Uh there there have been a couple though. There've been a couple where I'm like, damn it. Say <laughs> name one, please. Name one. Uh no, I don't want to do that. No. No, no I don't want to do that. It's okay. It's, not, it's okay. It's okay. The said show that was uh Amazon, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did that help in the audition process for the peripheral Be- becoming oh. like uh, uh because you I sense that you can see it more and more that certain actors uh get that, oh that's a Netflix Netflix actor or that's a HBO actor. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Totally. Um yeah. I don't think it hurts, you know, like but I I think that comes down to the the real pointy end of of uh, the audition process or the casting process where there's so many shows that are now shot on Amazon that have different producers, different writers. Mm. You know, it's mm. not exactly like it would be on network TV where the network execs are kind of there. But I don't think it hurts having to having shot a show before for the same um, streaming service or network or whatever it is. Uh, I think more so it's the casting people that start getting to know you again though you know z was was a show that was an american amazon show um and this is obviously well i guess this is an american amazon show as well but it was shot in in the uk and with uk casting people so mm-hmm. i think word maybe gets around and I, i think it certainly helps when maybe they're choosing between a couple of people at least you can go like oh well this guy's worked for amazon before and in in that respect i guess it could help but i think also maybe in the contractual area you know you could say that 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 also it helps having worked for the for the place before but but in terms of the producers the 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 writers and directors i i had no relationship with them to begin with um so i think it's more so the casting people which again when i moved to the uk i felt like i had to start again um, for the third time you know, yeah having the relationships yeah. there was the relationship with casting agents is, is very important you know once they get to know you then you kind of get a little bit of a, a foot in the door assuming that they think you're okay and how is your re- relationship with jeff bezos now that uh, you're <laughs> <laughs> funnily kidding. enough i just got <laughs> off the phone with him actually we, he's yeah. uh yeah, cool. yeah, he's yeah. Um, he's taking he's he's taking he's asked if he could put his um his ship in my uh river that I was <laughs> next to, and I 
Yeah. Great to hear. Yeah, that's yeah, great. To hear. He's hard to say no to, so I think he'll be yeah. coming and asking. <laughs> yeah. I actually, though, uh, was it Z? Yeah, after Z, he he was we we, we had a an Emmys party, I think, and he was there. And this is before I think a lot of people knew who Jeff Bezos. Well, at least me. I, yeah. It was it was at the sort of start of Amazon when they were doing their Prime thing, mm. and I do remember him. He, I probably shouldn't say this, but he was walking past. <laughs> he was walking past, and we. I was at the bar, and I turned around as he was walking past, and we knocked into each other, kind of thing like that. Yeah. And but he had seen someone and he just kept walking, you know, like he, he, he wasn't rude, but he was just kind yeah. of like, Hey, and he was like, Hey, and we walked <laughs> off. And, and my mate just went, geez, glad you didn't spill anything on him. Yeah. And I remember thinking, why? Like, is, is that, and he's like, that's Jeff Bezos. And I went, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> probably should have yeah. apologized, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, that's the, that's the interaction. That's the extent of the interaction I've had with him. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's a busy guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So the peripheral, like you said, audition again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How was that process this time? Uh, long? No, no, no. That no. this process was very quick, uh, and I, I guess part of it as well. Getting back to what you said before, maybe it was the Amazon family that helped, perhaps because this one was um, again. I was shooting something else at the time, so this was just a sort of very quick. All right, I'll put an audition down. And then I've got to focus on what we're doing. So I, I just forgot about it. And then they called. And that was that was it, really. I had a, an audition and then a meeting with um, with the writers and the directors and the casting person. Um, and that was it. Yeah. Then they sort of said, yep. we're." But the problem was it was right during COVID. So everything... Uh. It was it was it was a night. I mean, I I can't imagine what it would have been like to actually um, try and navigate through that area. The whole film thing. It was it was right in between. I believe, if memory serves me correctly, the second and third lockdown over here mm-hmm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was between the first and second. I can't remember, but it was during that whole period where we had to get tested every single day, um, and. It made shooting very interesting because they had to shoot purely by location. Mm. So normally when you shoot eight episodes of a show, um, you shoot in blocks. Mm. So you shoot two episodes and then then another director comes on and then you shoot two episodes. So everything gets done in that sort of block area. This one, you just had to shoot whatever scenes were in a specific area you shot all of them and then so they could be contained in one studio in one area and then you move on to the other studio mm. and then they moved on to another one. So it's, you know, one scene you'd be shooting would be from episode three and then the next scene, episode eight, and you'd have to try and remember what happened and then the next scene would be from episode two and so it became very confusing to try and figure out especially with the peripheral which is (laughs) already pretty confusing in terms of working out what's going on i had to think hang on am i hang on am i a robot yet (laughs) Uh, well spoiler alert uh, because we have we have seen i think we've seen four episodes right stefan 
Yeah, the, yeah, we're right. gonna see you're gonna see the fifth uh, tonight, and uh, the last episode we saw, um, you were you coming got, back. You, you were coming back, but as a robot. That's that's right. That's that's yeah. right. I, yeah. I, you know what? We're we're in the same we're in the same boat here because I haven't seen we, episode five came on last week, and I haven't had the time to watch it yet, so yeah. I don't, I can't recall what was uh what's exactly happened, but I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah, episode four was when I came back as a robot, which is <laughs> I've never had to play two characters in one show before. That's that's the weird. That was a weird circumstance. Yeah, and also also trying to figure out what what they because all of that all of the robotic stuff was done um, post, you yeah. know, special effects and things like that. So I had no idea what I was going to look like. It's interesting having triangles on your face. Yeah. It's it, it's very very good uh, special effects. Yeah, the visuals uh, are great yeah. in the show. Yeah, uh, what's the yeah. time frame from you know casting on set to delivery? Uh, when did you? I mean, we shot peripheral. We finished shooting peripheral. Well, they they went to then I think they went to South Carolina for a while um, to do a bit of location shooting, a bit of uh, quite a lot of location shooting. But I think at least I finished shooting September last year. Mm. Um, so then there was a lot, a lot, a lot of special effects that had to be done. And I think that's actually a testament to the show. There's so much special effects that you don't know are special effects. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things where you can look at and go, wow, they did that well, that looks good, but you know, it's special effects. There's a lot of stuff in that show that you don't even realize was never there. So I think that's, and that's the scary thing that's happening now with, with film is that you can no longer see that that is a good special effect. It's so good. You Mm. just think it looks normal. It was fascinating to see the finished product um, when we're shooting sometimes with a green screen and you kind of have to, imagine what it's going to look like or you know you're shooting in the middle of london but it's all going to change um so they'll tell you you know oh this is this what looks here and there's going to be something there and and you kind of imagine it but seeing what it actually looks like at the end is is pretty mind-blowing if if possible i don't know how it's going going to end but for like uh a season two for example Mm. if you show up to set on season two then you quite have a, a way of knowing uh, sort of how it would look like, right? I mean, theoretically, if they if they yeah. keep the same if they keep the same timeline and they keep the same um, same sets, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that could that could help. But then, I mean, we also sh- we also shot in London. We shot in in a lot of places that still have, and I don't know if you want to call it an energy about it, but it's not like we were just shooting on a green screen and that was no. it. And you have to pretend yeah. you know, there was, it was very immersive. Most of the sets that we were working on were, were hugely immersive. They had all the stuff there. And then in the background, they would be putting in the special effects. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of shows, sometimes you see the actors and all they've got to to work with is a green screen and a tennis ball. Yeah. And you think to yourself like, how on earth, can that feel realistic? Whereas this was fully immersive. So um, in, in that way, your mind doesn't have to make up a lot of stuff. It's just interesting to see what it looked like, you know, the, what, like the city landscape of London. 
Mm. When we were filming, obviously, the landscape of London is there. But then when you see it in the future, it's there, but it's different. Yeah. It's very interesting to see the changes that are happening. Um, but we still, you know, like again, season season two, if if there is a season two and and you know, I'm involved, have no idea. I don't think it'll be kind of like a you never felt like you were a fish out of water, you know. You, yeah. you always you you still felt like there was an element of of realism to it. You said that you uh, saw some episodes. Do you like watching yourself? No, hate it. <laughs> hate it. It's the it's the uh, it's the worst. Um, I struggle. There is no way in God's green earth that I will ever have a viewing party for anything that I that I do. I don't like going to premieres if I'm on screen. I don't like watching. I don't even want my wife to watch it with me, but I got no choice. I kind of have to. Mm. So then when we watch something, I'll end up talking over the top of what's going on on the screen <laughs> to try and get her attention away from it. So if it was up to me, I'd just watch it quickly by myself or not watch it at all. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's I I like doing the process and I like I like seeing what the end process looks like in terms of you know editing and again the special effects and all that kind of stuff and i really like watching the peripheral as a show mm. but when it comes to my stuff um yeah the eyes are closed often but you can't feel a sense of pride on what you accomplished right i can feel uh, no i wouldn't really? say pride i wouldn't say pride i wouldn't say that i'm i don't think i'm ever proud i i could be proud of the show for sure but not like uh uh oh shit there i delivered on that one you don't mm, feel that oh no really? no way really? no way oh no no <laughs> no it's uh it's more it's more akin to what were you doing breathing then <laughs> <laughs> why why did you take a breath then like mm. like Oh, did you see how many times you blinked in that? Sh- you know, like it's <laughs> it, it's an over criticism. So mm. the, the best I can do is that wasn't terrible. That's that's mm. probably the best that that'll come out of my mouth. Um, but uh, as a show and as a you know watching it, I can't separate myself. But watching other people on the show, um, unfortunately, I'm not in it that much enough for me to to not be able to watch the whole program so you know when i see jack working and chloe and and yeah. all the others that are on there all the time uh it's enjoyable and i think they're great and i think the the dynamic that they have especially those two together are really really watchable so that's something that is easy for me to do but just leave me out of it that would be <laughs> it's uh, it sounds like you still have a bit of swedish in you the, the- <laughs> Yes, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. It's well, my I attribute all that kind of stuff to my my dad. My um, mm. my dad is is still the most Swedish man you'll probably ever meet. <laughs> in in terms of, he's quiet. You'll never know he's there. He still has the thickest Swedish accent you can imagine, even <laughs> though he's lived in Australia for forty years now. 
Um, he's still his English is still broken. He, he sounds <laughs> like he sounds like he's just come from Sweden, um, which has been really good for me uh, for me because that's how I've I've still kept a, a connection. I think with the Swedish culture is is we never even though we left Sweden we we still grew up Swedes in Australia. Mm. Mm. Um, so I have a, a very romanticized notion of what Sweden is like. But the funny thing is, is that most of the things that I think are romanticized, they're actually accurate. You know, <laughs> like like my mum would be like, "Oh, this something bad happened." She'd be like, "Well, this would never happen in Sweden," and I'd be <laughs> like, "Yeah, sure, yeah, Sweden's great." <laughs> and then you'd actually look up and go, "Oh no, that wouldn't actually ever happen." In Sweden. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. One of the reasons why we moved to the UK was was to be closer to to Sweden and and do more trips. Hmm. Um, and I'm still on the hunt for a summer studio in somewhere yeah. <laughs> to to have a have a little getaway. That um, and funnily enough, Jack was in Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. So that was the connection there, and and um, I had to explain to to my wife that that's not really what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, I think not it- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We still have the the thing with the cliff and the old man that but yeah, it's at the super. Yeah. At the have, super, yeah, yeah. Have you guys seen that show um Norseman? Um the 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 movie or the the show? No, I think I think I think it was called Norseman. It's a it's yeah. a Netflix show. It's oh, a, yeah, sort yeah. of like a comedy. And um and they do I think one of the first scenes they do a bit where they've got the three old men on the cliff and they're going <laughs> to jump off. And it's very funny. I'm not going to do a rendition of it, but it was it was a very funny scene where they decide that that's not something that they're into anymore. It was, <laughs> it was very good. So we're going to wrap up in a bit, but um, what's next for uh, David Hofflin? Uh, yeah, can I don't. Give, can, can you give us any scoops? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't give you any. Oh. I can't give you any scoops. I I've actually just recovered from surgery, so I'm uh, I'm oh. taking it easy right now. I'm, really? I'm having a a bit of a a break just to just to recover and get healthy again. Mm. Um, nothing nothing major, but it was something that's that's been uh, hampering me for about two and a half years now. Especially with COVID going on, it was uh, not a great time, but. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Christmas is coming up. I've got the the my wife's family coming here, so we're going to have a, a nice Christmas break, um, and then we'll see what happens in the new year. I I, I had a theory that I presented for Stefan before you joined. I oh, okay. I I know that the Rings of Power located their second season to UK, and that's an Amazon show, David. Yeah, <laughs> you might have to do an audition. I wouldn't be against that. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and the idea of a character in Lord of the Rings or Tolkien would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, I might, I might have to. I'll message Jeff. Yeah. Do that. Um, yeah. See, see what he's. What, if yeah. there's any openings. <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you very much for doing this yeah thank, oh thank yeah thank you very this. much whereabouts yes, are you guys in uh you you both are based in in stockholm or where are you based um i am based in stockholm but we're both from uh, värmland ah. in Karl, karlstad 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. I'm located in Elan based in Costa still. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I we were supposed to go to Sweden um, a few months ago. I think in August we were going to visit there again. Um, and my my wife is a big ABBA fan, so she wanted to go mm. to the ABBA museum again. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so we were going to have we were going to catch up with with a lot of family there. My my um, nephew is actually there at the moment on on exchange. Mm. So I'm hoping to make it to Sweden at some point in time. You know, within now that the world's opening up again, wasn't exactly easy to to travel. Yeah, no, exactly. for the last little while, but uh, hopefully things are going well over there, and and um, we'll be able to visit soon. Yeah, I hope cool. You Wonderful. Okay, thank you very much. Good luck with the Sommarstuga in Sweden. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there's a few it, around. Yeah, I just got to yeah. I just got to work out where the best area is. We, yeah. We're not we're not entirely sure. I mean. Trying to find somewhere with with a forest is not easy in Sweden. It's only covered by what nine eighty eighty five percent of the country. Something, so, something like that. Like, so yeah. yeah, maybe maybe Värmland. That's yeah. uh, quite beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we've heard we've heard that's nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've been, but there's certain areas there. There's uh, where was I looking the other day? I'd like to find somewhere that's either close to close ish. To Stockholm or close-ish mm. to Göteborg, one of the two, mm. just to mm. get in and out a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, we're kind of spoiled for choice, really. There's a lot. Uh, Dalsland uh, is cheap and I uh, feel very nice uh, nature there, and it's uh, relatively close to Gothenburg. That's my okay. Well, see, this is the thing that I want. Like when when you're talking about, I want a house on or near a lake. Yeah, mm. surrounded by forest. Yeah, that's all I want. Yeah. I I don't really care about anything else. Should um, be achievable. You'd think so, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you look at Google Maps and you look at Sweden, yeah. uh, and kudos to Sweden as well for still having a forestry commission that hasn't decimated the whole country. Yeah. Um, considering that there's so much infrastructure that revolves around wood. Um, I think they've done very well. So well done. Yeah, today. we're trying our best. It's yeah. me and Linus. That's yeah. <laughs> that's it. There. Yeah. Holding the fort. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well done, guys. Very impressive. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, dude. Okay. Thank you. And uh, have a nice day. No yeah. worries. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good rest of the day. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hey, 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 Your only chance to survive or evacuate. Avsnitt 5, eller rätt sagt The Peripheral Season 1, Episode 5. What about Bob heter dagens avsnitt. 58 minuter långt. Sändes 11 november på Amazon Prime. Regisserad av Vincenzo Natali. Han är tillbaka här nu. Han gjorde de två första. Mm. Och sen skriven av en som heter Jimmy Chan. Han, är, han har varit med och i... Så att säga, Eh, skrivarummet som alltså finns sig mm. på svenska eh, i diverse olika eh, tv-serier. Så det finns att ta på. Hur fick vi reda på i veckans avsnitt då? Lite mellanavsnitt va? Ja men jag tror att vi, vi det var ju ett väldigt informationstungt förra veckan. Mycket mm. snack liksom. Det här var ju lite mer verkstad som man ja, brukar kalla det. Verkligen. Eh, så att vi, vi vi fick ju backstory på hur Ailita hade träffat den här getingmördade forskaren. Visst ja. var det så? Ja. 
Och de hade ju, de har ju ett, ett item back in the days. De var ja. ihop. Mm. Så att vi, och vi fick väl också veta lite mer om den här... <laughs> det här av varför, varför Alita vill in i R.I. Där ja. vi fortfarande inte riktigt 100% vet vad, 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 det är hon, vad hennes mål är. Nej. Men, men R.I. använder sig av det här äh, tekniken med stubs eller stumpar för att, äh, som jag förstod det, typ bedriva forskning. Äh, mm. de, de skapar alternativa verkligheter eller stumpar för att sen kunna liksom påverka dem med på olika sätt och sen kunna liksom ta med det till sin egen tid och ja, skörda eh, frukterna av det. Och bland annat då, som vi fick se, Haptics var ju en sån sak. Mm. Så eh, Flynns brorsa Burton och hans crew, de har alltså blivit, eh, ja, deras den här Haptics som man fick se i första avsnittet, det är tydligen från R.I. då. Och mm. jag tror också eh, att vi fick ju se en liten... Eh, vad ska man säga? De, de är ju väldigt duktiga på att manipulera folk genom Haptics eh, mm. R.I. Och då fick vi se en, en soldat som manipulerades att gå ut till en landmina typ. En oh. Ett försvåtsminerat djur. Mm. Och tror vi inte att det är tror vi inte att det kanske är Connor? Det såg lite så ut. Ja, oh, jag det fick jag tänkte inte så jäkla mycket på det så sätt. Jag var för mycket jag satt ju sådär gungen fram och tillbaka. Uh, <laughs> jag blev så uppspelt över att de kopplade mm. ihop de här två grejerna uh, Men ja. det är nog mycket möjligt uh, Jag ska gå tillbaka och kolla mm. faktiskt tänkte jag. Uh, nej, det, exakt, det, så, det kan vara så i alla fall mm. ja, men så, Vi fick mm. ju lite mer liksom, info på uh, Han, ryssen Lev var ju inne i förra avsnittet Nosa på mm. uh, varför han vill låt uh, Om man säger ja, just men, det. Så det var ju lite påbyggnad på det här liksom, Men här fick vi också lite mer så här, direkt syfte uh, mm. Den kallades ju då för Godfant Ja just det, uh, just det och jag tänker ju typ så här, ja, men som i det här fallet, eh, Alitas, vad ska man säga, hennes motiv känns väl kanske mm. lite, lite klarare nu för tiden i och med att R.I. och Cherista framförallt, eh, liksom den här implant, implant-tecken som de har, som pratar på liksom att eh, syftet för det här är ju som en emotionell kontroll över folk så blir det ju lite så här 1984 fast det är i framtiden då. Uh, nej men, så det, det tyckte jag var intressant Och jag har en liten teori som vi ska komma till sen då. Uh, Intressant yes. Och apropå kny, knyta ihop uh, På väg ut ifrån Det här hemliga rummet Så stöter de ju på en, en Otrevlig forskare mm-hmm. Och uh, Elita hintar om att hon har Väldigt fina ögon För man, de, de ögon scannar ju uh, När man får kunna komma in och det är väl hon som helt enkelt blivit mördad i första ansiktet också. Ja, precis. Exakt. Det var mycket så här bra knyta ihop grejer tycker jag ändå. Ja, men faktiskt. Jag tycker att man utforskar lite mer loremässigt också. Eller alltså, de knöt ihop lite och de gick djupare i liksom den här världen. Så, så tycker jag om lore. Lore på byggnad mm. liksom. Så, Absolut. Nej, så det, det känns bra liksom. Men majoriteten av avsnittet eh, landar vi på handa. Assassin's Creed eh, Ohio. <laughs> jag kallar honom för gubbmördaren I mina anteckningar <laughs> Han vart ju uppringd Av våran, av våran kompis ja. robot, robot Daniel mm. För att han fick han, han är någon gammal Vad är han då? Typ någon slags IRA Derivatsperson eller hitman ja. Och ska väl helt enkelt Han, skulle helt enkelt, han fick ju uppdrag att mörda Flynn Och även Burton gissar jag på 
Fast mest Flynn kanske Och vi fick, vi fick väldigt mycket backstory på honom <laughs> Faktiskt Nu var det ju så att ja. han överlevde slutet Men hade han gått bort där avsnittet Då vet jag liksom ja, inte jag... jag var lite sjuk i huvudet på Varför de la så fruktar för mycket tid Han fick på honom faktiskt Ja, nej, samma här Men gubbmördaren Han har en, han har en dotter för mig, mm-hmm. de, liksom bor ju, de bor ju i Key West eller någonting, eh, Florida tror jag, och under falska, falsk identitet. Mm. Och eh, så innan han åkte iväg och skulle döda Flynn så drog han ju, han ju på att döda en gammal bekant också. Ja, oh. eh, i, bo- <laughs> i bowlinghallen. Ja. Ja, bra scen tycker jag, bra action scen. Ja, det var en bra action-scen Men jag vet liksom inte Vi får vi se om han hänger kvar lite mer För hade han bara som sagt strukit med Då hade du känt mig som där Eller såhär Breaking Bad och Better Call Saul Gör lite sån här grejer liksom så här dum mm. fördjupning på någon karaktär som eh, Kanske liksom inte är med så mycket sen om man säger. Men ja, vi får vi se om det blir någon payoff på honom så det, det känns ju som att han, han är inte uträknad än Men Ja, vi får vi se här om det spelar tillbaka eller om han fortsätter att Det är klart, han satte ju någon form av ribba, men jag tycker det här hela, det var lite även om det var bra action där, sen på bron då, där han ska ligga mm. bakhåll, det är väl ungefär det här avsnittet handlade om egentligen här, liksom Ja, bro. i stort sett. Att det liksom kulminerade i bro. Jag tyckte det var jävligt slarvigt och framförallt dålig klippt också när de fastnade, när de fastnade ja. på den bron och de var tvungna att ha liksom någon form av Liksom, ett spänningsmoment i det hela liksom. mm. Suspens mm. Då Flyns kompis Som även tillsammans med han Jesper Som är Osakmannens brorson Just det, Billy, Billy Ann heter hon som kom där ah, och som, en, en, riv, en rivig dam En rivig dam från Södern Ja, som, som bara så här. Jag kan nog fixa din bil han, Gubbmördaren stod och fejkade att bilen hade gått sönder Jag kan fixa din bil Han bara, nej men jag, jag, jag väntar på den som kommer Hon bara, ja är det han som kommer oh. Nu vet jag inte vilket namn Han är så jävla kass, låt mig kolla Han bara, nej men åk nu liksom så här. Hon bara, okej okay. Kör om tio meter och så bara, kommer hon tillbaka så, Jag måste få kolla <laughs> Hon var bara så här. Ah. <laughs> Varför? Ja <laughs> Men det slutar ju också med att Billian räddar dem helt enkelt. Ja, Han klev ut med, med en hagelbraka och la ett par salvor i bröstet på gubbmördaren där. Han, så här, jag såg nyss, <laughs> jag såg nyss Snabba Cash säsong två. Och där känns ju vad jag fick lära mig när jag, ja, nu landar vi där i ända. När man gjorde i lumpen va? Och de snackade om mm. det med kroppsskyddet om man skulle bli skjuten. Mm. Som man kanske får känns som att de gör väldigt mycket bättre där med att bli skjuten med kroppsskydd så det är ju som att få hästsparken rätt emellan hjärtat liksom. Mm, mm. Den här snubben tog ju liksom tre salvor hagelbrakare rätt i ryggen och i bröstet <laughs> liksom och ändå så här ah, kroppen bara vidare som att det inte var någonting. Men det kan ju vara en sån här, du vet så här, nu, nu är vi ändå 10-15 år i framtiden. Det kan, ju, det kan ju komma en sån superrevolution med kroppsskydd liksom. Exakt, så mm, jag ska bara mm. hålla min jävla trut, ja. Men du, en apropå en Ytterligare en framtidsgrej då. Tänkte du på det här? När Billy Ann skulle gå upp och jobba. Vad, vad gjorde hon då? Jag var i någon sån... Eh, vad heter det? Svar på en jobb för någon sån där gig-ekonomijobb? Eller ja, vad var det? Ja. men det var, in, det, det var inte det jag tänkte på. Nej. Istället för att borsta tänderna så tog hon ett toothpaste-gum. <laughs> <laughs> framtid. Det är framtid där. <laughs> det är var min... tänk, tänk vad gött att bara kunna tugga tuggum istället för att borsta tänderna. Det var varit oh. jävla nice. Fan ja. vad gött. Ja, det är min framtid. Äntligen. Efter bron... 
så eh, försöker polis Tommy han, eh, hjärta, Hjärtat av guld Tommy Som är kanske ja, men Han har ju ett gott öga till Flynn och familjen där Han försöker ju få dem att liksom så här, nu, Det börjar liksom stäka upp med grejer här nu Det börjar bli konstigt sig nu liksom. Och Flynn är liksom ganska nära ändå mm. eh, Och bara ah, Nej jag kan inte säga så det känns som att så här, fler och fler börjar fatta nu vad det är som pågår Hem, det, Man märker att det är svårt för dem att liksom, eh, hålla de här hemligheterna om vad det är som egentligen pågår Och det slutar ju också med att mamman ställer på dem Och mm. att hon får reda på liksom allt Så jag gillar ändå det att det verkar som att den här hemligheten Att ja, men Flynn har den här VR-grejen och det är någon så här framtidsgrej de håller på med Att det liksom inte kommer vara... Alltid hemligt. För det är, det, är ett bra, det, är, det är ett bra sätt också om den hemligheten kom, att om den kommer ut och får storyn att gå framåt också. Ja, precis. Tommy fick vatten på sin kvarn här. Kan, kan man mm. säga. Och sen när Tommy kör iväg med gubbmördaren så krockar de ju då. Eller de blir påkörda. Den osynliga Audin är tillbaka. Ja, det är den. Och vem tror vi var det som körde den då? Alltså jag, jag var lite så här, är det orsakmannen? Som körde. För de... är, det, är det Corbel picket? För jag vet, alltså de, de låg kvar så jävla mycket på stövlarna. Och jag satt och tänkte mm. så här. Har man sett om Corbel picket har, har boots? Liksom. Det, känns så konst, det känns så konstigt att han ska göra det själv dock. Ja men frågan är. För han, han körde ju omkull dem. Och tog. Mm. Liksom, tog han. Bob hette han väl va? Ja jag tror det. Eller, ja. Ja. Gunnar Wick. Det är avsnittet heter som det gör också. Ja, och det jag tänkte på typ var väl kanske att eh, han, om det nu var han då, eh, då mm. kanske det är liksom ett syfte av att, ja men han har ju fått lite pengar, han har ju den månads, eh, han har ju där autogirot från, eh, mm. från Flynn Company, så jag tänker så här, då, han kanske liksom kliver på och ser till, för han har ju ändå någon sån där eh, besk- statsbeskyddar grej för ja, sig, typ. det, det här den inofficiella sheriffen typ ja precis, ja. så det skulle inte få mig om det nu är han så känns det som att han ja. liksom, eh, ser till att det såhär fuckar inte med dem efter, efter Flynn och Burton eh, kallar till sin mamma vad som har hänt så hoppar ju Flynn in i sin peripheral och eh, ställer på Wilf att hon inte fick någon förvarning om att eh, den här mördaren skulle komma och det slutar ju med att eh, Wilf kör henne till R.I. Och mm. vi får en liten showdown kan man säga. Lite sån mid-season showdown mellan henne och eh, mellan Flynn och Cherise. Mm. Båda i visade sig då i en sån peripheral datakropp. Så det har varit lite robotfight där. Mm. Jag undrar lite typ så här. Eh, har Cherise varit i sin peripheral hela tiden? Ah, snyggt. Det kan det mycket väl vara. Ja. Så jag är lite nyfiken ja. på typ så här. Är, är hon bara så här upphuckad? Sitter hon som den stora vampyren i Blade 1 i ett rum och bara är liksom <laughs> Mother Brain ja. liksom, sitter hon högst upp i sitt torn? Alltså det skulle inte förvåna mig om det kommer bli en twist att man så här, Cherise i slutet av säsong 1 eller om det nu är hon som är The Big Bad i säsong 1, mm. att det hon sitter i någon sån, ja men exakt som du säger där i Blade 1 eller du vet så här, en sån Stephen Hawking-situation liksom, ja. helt så här så att Ja, men snyggt, det tänkte jag inte ens faktiskt på. Men det så kan det ju mycket väl vara. Om hon också har tillgång till peripherals. Ja, det, det är klart att hon har det. Men att hon har det i den tiden så... Varför skulle hon inte kunna köra dem hela tiden? Bra säkerhet liksom. Mm, det exakt. känns som en ganska ut, utsatt person. 
Ja, exakt. Tänkte mm. du på, jag tänkte på den scenen när Flynn och Wilf satt på det där kaféet. Tänkte du på vad fruktansvärt dålig ljudupptagning det var på Flynn då? Nej, det reflekterar äh. inte jag faktiskt. Nej, det var typ så här, nitpicking på det sättet. Men jag typ blir, ibland när det där händer så blir jag så himla, jag kan bli väldigt chockad när det är liksom. Det är så uppenbart att det är någon, antingen att det blir en ljudupptagnings bugg eller du vet att det var mm. för mycket stök i bakgrunden av någon sjuk anledning så det känns ju typ vad ska man säga, det är så jäkla sällan man ser det på den här typen av produktioner det är slarvet ja. även, ja. det kan vi du också hålla med om att oftast är det ju typ så här, ja, men oavsett hur jävla dålig en serie eller film är som man ser nu för tiden är alternativt liksom, kaskådspelare så är det oftast att Ja, men produktionen gör ju sitt jobb. Alltså, oftast ja, ja, gud, ser ja. det bra ut, det låter bra, ja. det är bra klippt. Alltså, alla de där grejerna sitter mm. ju oftast, liksom, även om det är en pissproduktion. Mm. Så det var lite, bara så här, lite chockat. Borde du kunna adr det också i efterhand? Ja. Alltså, att, att uh, Chloe Grace Moretz går in och liksom spelar in dialog igen i efterhand och lägger ja. på, liksom. Jag blir lite chockad. Men, Sen, ja. så, så nu kommer jag sitta här resten av kvällen och hitta på en sån lore reason why det var dålig utdagning. <laughs> Kanske var det, röstchippet i hans peripheral som håller på att lägga av. <laughs> Men jag tycker vi säger det. Att det, liksom, det, var, ja. att det var någon sån här lokal störning i det kaféet som bara... Ja. Det är så där ibland när man sätter på sig sina Airpods för högt eller för ja. lågt. Liksom. Ja. Det kan ju vara en sån grej. Man hade liksom satt på eller sänkt sitt eget ljud på något sätt. Mm. Men ja, det är väl egentligen de stora dragarna om vad som hände. Har vi missat något? Nej, alltså det är så här. Vi får väl se om det är Corbett på slutet. Men den enda frågan så här, den enda frågan jag tänkte på lite som återstod vid så här, slutet på avsnittet är ju egentligen så här, vem var, vem var det som körde eh, osynliga mm. Audien? Och mm. om det är Ozark eller inte, det får vi kanske veta nästa vecka, tänker jag. Och sen den lite större då, det är ju fortfarande Alita, vad hon vill åt den här ja. Godfonten med. Ska hon också bedriva någon forskning eller är det någonting i med eller kring jackpotten som hon vill liksom mm. förhindra eller skynda på eller sådär. Så att det, det får vi väl helt enkelt se då. Jag har ju en jag har en liten, liten teori ute här nu har jag ju. Vill du mm. höra den? Mm. Ja, ja. Eh, <clears throat> vi, vi fick ju se i första avsnittet när Flynn är och gör den ögonoperationen eh, hos Alita. Mm. Eller i det där rummet så har ju hon en sån modell, en sån superfin vit klassgubbemodell över Flynns hus och hur Burton Boysen står liksom redo. Just det. Kan det vara så att Alita redan har på något sätt, ja men lite, de pratar om det där med eh, att R.I. kan gå in och liksom, eh, lägga tech och styra lite och vinka ja, över ja. Kan det vara så att Alita redan, utan att vi har fått sett det, har gjort någon påverkanskampanj i dåtiden? Som leder flynner om mot något. En sån stor 3D-schack liksom. Det kan det ju mycket väl vara. Och de pratade, Alita och hennes forskarex pratade om att Alita gillar dockhus också. Hon var ju mm. en sån dockhusmänniska. Ja, men det är inte omöjligt att hon är någon slags Ossimandias person här. Som ligger två, tre steg framför alla andra. Innan ja. man får liksom se. Ja, det, så kan det mycket väl vara. Bra, jag, jag gillar det. Jag gillar mm. det. Eller, det är så tråkigt, för jag inte, ja, vi får ju lyssna tillbaka i podden här. Men jag har inte skrivit upp no, no, någon sån teori. Vi har ju din Connor-teori att han kommer bli ond. Har vi mm, mm. Och så har vi den här teorin nu. De får vi komma ihåg. Vi får, det är väl någon, någon snäll som kan maila oss de teorierna. Ja. Så att vi har, så att vi har koll på dem. <laughs> <laughs> Körbert. Ja. Ja. Grymt. Nice. 
till nästa vecka så får vi se lite vad vi pratar om. Jag tänker att vi ska riva av inboxen nästa vecka. Uh, Just det. Och dra några lappar ur tombolan som vi brukar säga. Ja, men det gör vi. Vi har ju faktiskt fått några tips på vad folk vill höra sådär. Mm. Uh, så att det, vi har hemläxa och den ska vi se till att göra faktiskt. Gör som... Och jag, jag är ju också så att jag är ju hemläxan en kvart innan man går in på lektionen. Den blir alltid bäst då. Ja. <laughs> Magen får syra riktningen. Mm, precis. Ja, men grymt. Vi, vi hoppas ni blev nöjda med veckans avsnitt. Och så hörs vi om en vecka igen här då. Mm, det gör vi. Grymt. Ha det bra nu. Detsamma. Ha det. Hej. Hej.